Welcome to Teacher Pop, a podcast where teachers discuss pop culture topics and how they can apply to teaching in the classroom. I'm your host, Jordan Billings, a seventh grade social studies teacher who loves being in the classroom and talking about all things pop culture. Let's get into today's topic. All right. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to Teacher Pop Season 2. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a uh, little bit of a break, but we are now back in the swing of things, and we have a amazing returning guest, Ryan Stevens. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get into this. Excited for Season 2. Been waiting on this for a while. It's, it's, it's like that, just that anticipation of, of that new season when uh, when when's everything going to come out? What am I going to learn? All of that. Awesome. Well, I wanted to start off uh, season two with a sequel and a fairly uh, popular sequel. So today we're going to be going through Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. So, so many good things. Um, yeah. So, Ryan, go ahead and walk us through um what is our basic storyline for Star Trek II Wrath of Khan? And of course, as always, friends, there are spoilers ahead. Yeah, okay. So um, Wrath of Khan it is, holds a special place in my heart as a Trekkie. Um, I grew up on the original series watching it with my dad in like rerun mode, obviously. And uh, I just loved it because Wrath of Khan has this tie-in to the original series run. And it's something that like none of the other uh, films ever really did. And so Khan, uh, Khan Noonien Singh is his full name, uh, is a product of of late 20th century genetic engineering, uh, what's often referred to as the eugenics wars. Um, And he and his crew of just superhuman people uh, got on a sort of a a interstellar craft and went into suspended animation and they... uh, called the Botany Bay, named for the place in Australia where they were this penal colony or whatever. And they go out into space. And then in the original series, Kirk and the Enterprise, they, they come across it and they awaken them. And Khan tries to take over the ship, tries to murder Kirk. That All of the danger of a villain ensues in a 45 to 60 minute 1960s episode. Exactly. Yeah. But at the end of the episode, Kirk does something interesting is that is he drops Khan and his crew. And in fact, one of the members of his own crew uh, who had kind of gone over to Khan's side on uh, a SETI Alpha five um, and says just basically, you know, these the people who were sent to Botany Bay went on to tame a continent. Can you tame a world? Yeah. And um, he leaves him there. And then Spock has this great line that ends that episode where he says, what it would be interesting to return and see what plants or what life had sprouted from the seed you had planted today. And the episode was called space seed. seed. Yes. I remember that. Yes. So fast forward to the 1980s and Star Trek, the motion picture had flopped badly and it's terrible for a whole host of reasons. But anyway, they're looking to try to keep this thing going. And so they revisit this episode and they realize there is something here. They get mm-hmm. Ricardo Montalban back to, re, uh, to reprise his role. And now Khan is back. But now we've got, they found him on SETI Alpha 5. Uh, they think it was actually SETI Alpha 6. And somehow his people had survived a devastating um, explosion of nearby SETI Alpha 6. And they mm-hmm. now 
the crew of the Reliant, another starship had come by and they were trying to, there's a whole backstory with the Genesis plan that I don't want to get into. But anyway, they were trying to look for a planet for the test, this, you know, way of creating a new planet. And they come across Khan, who through the use of these like SETI eels manipulates the captain and uh, first officer uh, Chekhov into kind of being his little minions and, and zombies and attack Kirk and seeking revenge. And that's kind of the whole premise of this is it's all about revenge. There's references to Moby Dick in, in it. Um, there's quotes or altered quotes from Moby Dick all about it. And it's this sense of revenge that Khan is after and he blames Kirk for everything that happened mm -hmm. on SETI Alpha 5 instead of yeah. uh, realizing that there were certain things just out of his hands. And we're definitely going to go into kind of like that concept of, of things as we kind of go. But um, that's, that should give you a good taste of what's happening here. Um, so we're actually going to go right to kind of like the very beginning of the movie, which is this, um, you have this scenario that is, uh, that's given. And we don't really know what's happening. Like at the beginning, it's this situation where the Enterprise is getting ready to um, rescue a ship. Um, they try to do the rescue. There are all of these enemy ships around. Um, the ship ends up being destroyed. And of course, in the beginning, everybody's like, oh no, the Enterprise is destroyed. But then they find out that it is a simulator. And, um, and Kirk is not actually in command. He's actually sort of the instructor, sort of like teaching what's going on. And it is a famous scenario, which is, the Kobayashi Maru, which is basically, and they refer to it throughout the entire movie as the no-win scenario. And there were a couple of educational things I, I think are kind of, of interesting with that. One thing that I thought was interesting was the person that they were kind of looking at was Lieutenant Savick. And she's the one that was in command. And after the Kobayashi Maru had destroyed, you know, everything had blown up, they were getting ready to go and debrief. And she stays behind. And Kirk asks her why she stays behind. And she says, I don't think this was a fair test of my command abilities. And he says, really, why not? And says, there's no way to win. And um, we'll, we'll get into, into Kirk's thought a little bit, but um, I loved the idea of a student kind of hanging back for feedback uh, on a test and to kind of like to, to, to just have that question, I guess, of how we're like, how we assess our students was kind of where I was thinking. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I kind of see it in two parts. Like I, I love the, the idea of a student asking for that feedback. I think that's a vital part of what we do as, as teachers and how we interact with our students and that seeking that feedback and how do we get better at what we do? That is awesome. And embedded within that is this idea that I don't think this was a fair test for me yes. because of whatever factors. Mm -hmm. But I think that shows a huge level of metacognition from on the part of the student. It mm -hmm. shows a willingness to realize that this is a joint learning journey together yeah. and that, you know, we have a part to play, but this, it, it is ultimately the student's journey. And, and if it's not a fair test, then we need to either consider what did we do to assess that or two, Mm -hmm. Do we need to kind of help shape the students thinking a little bit on it? And we can get into that because I think that ties in a lot to Kirk's response to Savick. But I think the other element I think that's critical here is this idea of a no-win scenario. And I think this is one that for us as teachers, we need to look at really hardcore. And I've started to do this. I've been on this journey for about four years now, and I'm really trying to 
edge myself a little bit further down that path. And that is that I think grading itself is a no win scenario. Interesting. Okay. Because no matter how it looks, no matter how we parse it out, no matter how much we try to remove anything that's not tied to learning from it, ultimately it is still no win because what we've got to do is we've got to somehow move that needle and say, okay, this is where you're at. This is what mastery is. This is how mastery is defined. Can you exceed it? Are you close? Are you right on target? Are you at a point where I need to do a lot of reteaching? But wherever you're at in that, it's mm-hmm. essentially still, how do we get students to stop seeing this? How do I chase this letter grade? How do I chase these points? Whether you're doing it on a 90, 80, 70, 60 scale, or even a one to four standards-based grading scale, ultimately at the end of the day, you're still having to make a judgment call on very subjective things between a three and a four or a 85 and a 90. I mean, whatever it is, you're having to make that judgment call. And I, and that to me is no win. It's a no win scenario for everybody involved. Because even as a teacher, if I say all my expertise is right and I say, this is where you're at, ultimately I'm still an authority figure on that. Mm -hmm. And a student will likely defer to that authority figure or at the very least going to walk away upset from that interaction. Now, do you think that um, now Lieutenant Savick is a, a Vulcan, very logical, uh, graduated top of her class and, and, and things like that. Do you think that something like this Kobayashi Maru is sort of designed to give um, a, a student like that a, a, a taste of failure so that they can be prepared for that in the future? I think there's certainly an element of that. I think there, there absolutely is an element of that. I, I, it's interesting you mentioned Savix being a, a Vulcan because in, in a deleted scene, we actually find out that she's half Vulcan, half Romulan. Um, and so that, that kind of ties into her kind of emotional response a little bit to, to, the, to the scenario. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's that element of, yeah, you've, you've got to realize that there is an element of failure in everything. Mm-hmm. But the, the flip side of that is, from an education standpoint, there's no opportunity to do it again. You know, I mean, it, it's true. That, 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 and I think to me, failure becomes final if, if there is no opportunity to, re- to do it again. So mm-hmm. I think that is something that we avoid as teachers is that if we put s- students in a situation where there's a good chance they may struggle for a little bit at it, mm-hmm. we have to follow that up with good feedback that can be applied. And then that there's another shot yeah. at it. Because ultimately, if there's not another shot at it, then that learning isn't necessarily lost, but but it's not a value to the student. Exactly. So um, can you remind? So um, so again, Savic has this this meeting and whatnot. And and by the way, one of the things that I also thought was really great, and I talked to my students about this too, that um, when when the scenario was over and it was found out, you know what it was. Savick did not immediately stand up and in front of other officers and in front of the crew, um, like essentially berate Kirk by saying, wait a minute, hold on, this isn't fair. Savick waited until the correct time to express those concerns. And I think that that is a very valuable um, thing that we can get our, our students to think about is that, that there is a good time to express your concerns that way, but also it can go hard the other way if you express that in not the right time, I would say. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that as teachers, that's a opportunity for us is to give space for those conversations. And I think this is something like, as I've been kind of looking at this idea of maybe moving into almost a, a an ungrading kind of standpoint here. I mean, we can't go completely gradeless. I mean, I'm we do live in, in a world that like has grades have to be administered, but we have the scenario still. Yeah, we have it. The, the scenario exists, but can we as, and not, oh man, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit, but I have to drop it. Can we change the conditions of the test? Ah, uh, yes. You, to, to, suit, to suit what we want. And I think this is where conferencing with students makes all the difference mm-hmm. in that it's a constant conversation about what went well, what didn't go well. And ultimately student input matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we sit down, we conference with the students say, where do you think you did, you did well on this? Where do you think you're at? And they might say, well, shoot, I'm, I'm definitely at, at a four if you're using a standards-based grading model. I'm definitely at a four. I'm like, okay, you say you're at a four. Let's take a look at what we what we needed to do to get there. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down and you have that conversation with them. And through the conversation, we mm-hmm. come to a point of consensus. Mm-hmm. And then you've got people, then it's a shared experience. It's a shared conference. It's a shared discussion of the learning journey. And if we create space for that, all of a sudden the ownership shifts from us handing out a grade to students showing us what they have done and using that as the evidence to justify their choices, their grade, their argument, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, can you could you then talk to us about so um, so Sabic raises her point, and what does Kirk say kind of in response to that? I think we'll lead to the next thing here. Yeah, he says a no win scenario is a situation any commander may face. Had that not occurred to you, and she says no, uh, that thought had not occurred to me, and. Then he says, how we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. Wouldn't you say? She says, as I indicated, Admiral, that thought had not occurred to me. And then in his very glib way, Kirk says, well, now you have something new to think about. Carry on. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, again, is that kind of interesting thing that, um, you know, the that the Kobayashi Maru in and of itself is not the only test that a Starfleet commander would go through. And right. I think that may kind of also lead us into some things of having multiple different avenues for assessments having those student choices and things like that, giving lots of different things. So not having this, you know, one no-win scenario because, and I think that we know this because I know that both you and I do lots of different things in class and whatever. And it's always very interesting to me that when you give students one thing for them, that's the Kobayashi Maru. That is a no-win scenario. But yet for another student, they are like, this is my jam. I will absolutely take this, no problem and stuff like that. And so, you know, when I would take a look at something like this, uh, you know, a, a test to, to throw a little bit of growth mindset in there and things like that to, to have us to try again to, again, as you're saying, you know, promote those, that thought had not occurred to me. But then also allowing, because of course, you know, later in the show and things like that, Savick is sitting in the command chair and, and she still continues on, you know, in Starfleet, in the command school and stuff like that. So, you know, it is an element, but it is not the, it is not the entire scenario. And of course, it kind of talks a little bit about Kirk in and of himself, because um, Kirk did the no win scenario, did not win, did it multiple times, did not win. And then um, he 
change the conditions of the test, which is what you were saying, which is he reprogrammed the simulator to allow for um, the ship to be rescued. So creating a um, different thought process, I think is also one of those things that um, I think is fantastic too. And I really think you hit on that when you were talking about even us as teachers, realizing that some of these extra assessment things that we can do, the engaging activities and stuff like that, you know, if you're kind of living in a land of worksheets and things like that, change the conditions, change around the conditions of the test to help your students be successful. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if, if you look at it, um, the Kobayashi Maru, if, if you know the scenario at all, if you're a Trekkie at all, but basically just to lay it out, you have a, a ship is, is, has hit a, uh, a space mine basically and has lost all power. And so they're basically saying, hey, we need to get to rescue this group, but they're in the neutral zone between Federation space and Klingon space. Can't enter that without, a without it being a declaration of war. Mm -hmm. So you have this choice. Okay, do I obey and follow the, the strict guideline rules mm -hmm. or do I do what is objectively viewed to be morally right and save those people? Mm. And that's a, I mean, that is a no win scenario in the way it's presented in Star Trek, but in kind of in a way for us, it's almost that same thing too, is this idea if, if it's even more archaic than that of like, I gave this to a student, therefore I have to grade it. Therefore, if a student mm. chooses not to do it, I have to put that in as a zero. That, I mean, that would be the rigid kind of viewpoint of what teaching is mm. versus the moral thing, which I, and I use moral in a very broad sense there, but yeah, exactly. the idea that, hey, wait a minute, just because they couldn't demonstrate it to me on this worksheet or whatever, or this test, because it wasn't engaging to them, but I turn it over and I turn it into some challenge activity, or I turn it into a Lego build challenge or whatever it is, all of a sudden they're hooked and they're in it and they can still demonstrate it to me that way. That to me is like you said, change those conditions of the test. And all of a sudden you might find success in what's going on. Exactly. So um, uh, moving on kind of along in the story as well, um, a, a big part of what you see in here is that uh, Kirk has, uh, you know, we, we knew him from the original Enterprise, commanded the Enterprise for years, things like that. And now it's this thought of he's kind of getting a little bit older. He is an admiral now uh, and he does not command a starship yet it seems to be like, that's what he keeps feeling like is his calling. And mm -hmm. there's there's several uh, scenes with like Dr. McCoy at one point who's saying like, you know, Jim, I've served with you, but I'm your friend. And as your friend, I will tell you, you need to get your command back or else you'll just be a relic along with all of the other, you know, relics because he's a history guy mm -hmm. and it's collected, uh, you know, all of those things. And I feel like that's kind of an important thing too, of, of having that feeling of, you know, knowing uh, like where you want to be and what you want to do. And I think that that's kind of a, a powerful thing for us in, in education to also, you know, think about that, that uh, we have all sorts of different avenues that we can kind of go along with that. But um, that, that feeling of Kirk, I've, I've always thought about that because I, um, you know, there are lots of jobs in, in education. And I know that yet I always really feel that pull to, to be in the classroom, to like, to, to have that ship and, and to still kind of like keep going. And I thought that was an interesting thing about Kirk's journey too, that even when he'd been promoted, he still kind of sees 
like being back in the thick of it, making those things happen. Yeah. Uh, Spock has this wonderful line when he's, when he basically comes to him and says, look, we've got a distress call. I know you've got a bunch of cadets on board right now. This is supposed to be a training cruise. You're in command. I am just here as an observer. And mm -hmm. Spock tells him commanding a starship is your first best destiny. Yes. Anything else is a waste of material. Yes. And I think that that oftentimes helps us as teachers kind of crystallize what we are. And it's not to say that we, you know, that, you know, anybody who's left the classroom to go be an instructional coach or go to work at the district office or go to be an administrator, whatever it is, has done the wrong thing. People fit into different roles. Absolutely. But you have to know what that role is. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and thinking about the, that you've mentioned, you know, that you have that poll. If you're feeling like, you know, the instructional coach, like we need good instructional coaches. We need great instructional coaches that are going to help provide teachers the, the things that they need. And knowing that that you have that, that is kind of like your Kirk poll and, and knowing where you need to be in order to be successful. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if you are somebody who, who loves you know, delivering quality professional development to the teachers, which is absolutely necessary, and you're great at it. Um, even if you love the classroom, you may be that perfect fit to be that instructional coach. Or if you're somebody who has just this amazing connection with kids and to help them on that kind of emotional uh, journey, you might be a perfect fit as a counselor. And those things are, are absolutely necessary and vital. The entire school ecosystem Every piece is necessary for it to function well. Um, and I mean, if we, if we all have just educators, just teachers, if you will, just classroom teachers in the building, well, you know, who's going to handle budget? Who's going to handle logistics? All of those other things, okay? Who's, you know, going to be responsible for taking care of, make, hey, who's making those phone calls when kids have missed uh, class because they're sick or whatever and, and parent hasn't called in yet? All of those are things that have to happen and we need those people to be there. Knowing who you are and knowing what your role is and where you fit makes all the difference. I will say, you know, I also even mentioned that to students too. And to say that, that as you're taking a look, like, you know, treating your educational experience as you're testing the waters of lots of different things, you know, you may not, you know, enjoy where you are in math right now, but who knows what the future is going to bring you, you go along with that. Maybe you, um, you know, you don't feel like you're a strong writer or things like that, but later on you do become a strong writer because you've had that exposure and you, you have that experience. So I always tell students that like school is that opportunity to have all of those experiences and things, but then, you know, in the end, uh, you know, taking a look, you know, within yourself and, and that, that power to know that like, you want to be where you are. You don't want to waste your material. You want to be somewhere where you know that you are, you know, successfully fulfilled that sort of like, uh, you know, mastery and, and purpose and, and things that, that people even like Simon Sinek talk about, um, how powerful that can be. Uh, okay, so uh, where we're kind of at in the movie. So again, we see that like, you know, Kirk is now in command of this ship. And uh, there's been this um, development on uh, the station that is um, developing this uh, Genesis device, which is a device that can terraform an entire planet. It has its own matrix, it's dropped, and it will take a lifeless body. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that I did air quotes. I hope that yeah. the people that are listening to the podcast could see that I did air quotes. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> 
So, uh, so this device drops down on the planet and it terraforms. And it's supposed to be designed for a lifeless body to be able to, to transform. But if it was dropped on a not lifeless body, it would destroy everything to create um, its, its own matrix. Uh, and so, you know, when I, when I think about the, the idea of the Genesis device, you know, I, I, and it's interesting because in the show, there's a lot of moral implications with that of like, it's a, you can look at this as a very destructive force, or you can also look at it as a force for good. And what I think about with that is I think about how we look at things in our classroom. How do we change what's happening in our classroom? Because really when you're changing those things, sometimes you end up kind of destroying some ideas and creating some new and I know that, for example, both you and I are uh, heavy gamified teachers. And so in order to kind of do a lot of that gamified approach, there had to be some kind of destruction of the original way that we did things to make way for this new way of thinking. Yeah, without a doubt, there is. I think um, anytime you make that journey, whether, whether you're talking gamification or, or a shift to a standards-based classroom, I mean, those are things that that absolutely have to happen. You're going to have to give up something um, to make this journey. I mean, I think about uh, all the time, you know, I used to love it. I mean, we all do as teachers. We love it when kids are like, oh, hey, if I do this, can I get some extra credit? Kids who want that extra credit. Yeah, absolutely. We love doing that. But when you make that journey into standards-based grading, you start to realize, yeah, extra credit has got to go away. It, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it has to because it, it, it's just a, a great inflator. That's all it is. It's not necessarily, it's not really tied to the standards, but on the flip side of that too, is you also got to get rid of all the, anytime you were taking off points for something being late. I mean, you got, you got to take all of that away because that's a behavior that's not Mm -hmm. academically tied together. Or if you're doing gamification, um, you're going to have to create avenues for kids to challenge themselves. You're going to have to create, um, recognition and things that are that are status or, or achievement or power you know or any or access to special things I mean you're going to have to create things designed for very specific types of learners and different things are going to motivate different kids and all of a sudden you are automatically differentiating your classroom but there is a lot that goes into that yeah. which probably means that some of the other activities that you might normally have done because you know you had the time kind of got to go away because you've got to build that time in for either conferencing with students or creating more uh, creative uh, approaches to it. Um, whatever it is, you're going to have to create that time. And if, in order to create that time, you're going to have to take something else away. And that may mean that, oh my gosh, I love giving my 45 minute you know, lectures on for lack of a better example, the War of 1812. I don't know who's doing 45 minutes on the War of 1812, but if you are, please stop. Um, but <laughs> there you go. There's your public, there's your public service announcement. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Um, but, but that, you know, for example, what, whatever it is, you may have to give those up mm. and because you've got to move in this new direction that you know is going to be better for students that you know is going to create life is going to create energy in the classroom. Yeah. Things that might have created energy before, but not enough may have to go away or they're going to have to be reabsorbed into something new. Now, I'm also going to throw out another thing because um, one of the other little bits of things that you do see in the movie, and they actually even have a thing where they actually talk about the entire process of the Genesis device. And they say, you know, we started in a lab 
And then we changed an underground body. And then we worked on a planetary scale. And I, I feel like that there are a lot of teachers that I'm, I'm hoping when you take a look at that, when you take a look at things of looking at how to transform your classroom and things like that, even for the Genesis device, they didn't just sort of build it and drop it on a planet and hoped that everything would go well. They took things step by step. They took a look at like, here, maybe here's this one activity. And then here's this unit that we could change. And then here's, you know, an entire semester, an entire class, how, however you want to, to look at it. But I think that that's another thing that teachers can pull from this too, is that, you know, this, this new idea, this, this new thing you're doing in your classroom and things like that, it does not necessarily have to go completely right off the bat. You don't have to drop it on the whole planet. You can work on it in a lab first, try it for an activity work on it for a small scale thing. And then, you know, if it seems like it's successful working forward and doing things that way. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you can put in a little bit of that proto matter in your, yeah. in your Genesis uh, device that is highly unstable um, and see if it works and you get to test it a little bit. Um, and, and that's a, that's a good reference. Just, you know, that that's a nice little Easter egg for those that are uh, there you go. Along. Yes. So, um, okay. So, so again, we have this thing of, of the Genesis device and, um, uh, you know, we have Khan and Kirk. So Khan has been searching to find Kirk, um, and ends up kind of stumbling onto, you know, this, this Genesis device. And, uh, and so then now Khan, in addition to Kirk is now kind of obsessed with this, you know, Genesis device. Mm -hmm. And what you then kind of see one of their first things, because in this whole entire time, Kirk does not know that that Khan is is around. All he knows is that there's been a kind of emergency on regular one, which is the space station with Genesis. They're kind of heading that way and things like that. And then uh, they meet up with the Reliant and he doesn't know, Kirk doesn't know that Khan has taken over the ship mm -hmm. and there, you know, there's this and it is one of those, it is a tense scene. And it's one of those that, that it really works for those kind of like 1980s movies and things where we were willing to kind of like sit there and kind of like watch things get closer, 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 closer. Um, it probably, I feel like if that movie was to be made today, they would definitely have some different like cut action scenes or things like that. But there is this interesting tension that's get, that gets built because Khan is just sort of like sailing closer to Kirk. And he's like, okay, you know, don't, don't answer any hails, nothing, keep it quiet. And then like, they get really close and he's like, all right, raise our shields, you know, power up our weapon systems. And there's this whole kind of like slow thing. And what's interesting is in this entire time, Savick actually suggests, and she's like, Admiral, I should remind you that it's standard procedure to raise the shields when you haven't heard anything. And Kirk's just like, eh, you know, no big deal. Like we're just waiting. And then the attack happens and they'd had like kind of like low level defense shields, but the weapons just punch right through it. So the enterprise takes all sorts of damage. And, um, and then they're trying to kind of like piece that together. And um, you know, I think about something like that with um, things like, uh, you know, edge of protocols and things like that, things that we can do to make sure that, you know, we're successful in using our time in the classroom. 
Yeah, I, Edu protocols would be would be a great one, and I would even throw EMC two learning a lot of this stuff there. Yeah. Um, Penny pedagogies especially is a great one if you need something that's quick on there. But but yeah, as you're as you're trying to build up to this point where you feel like you are going to have success in whatever this engagement is in the in the parlance of of this Star Trek space battle, but you know there's steps along the way to make certain that there's success. So dropping in, you know, uh, a quick iron chef to start uh, class off, you know, if they're, you know, they're working on a big project and you're thinking, okay, by today, we really need to have a pretty good uh, handle on question number two. We probably need to get that mm-hmm. pretty well answered, but I'm not certain the kids are quite ready to, to just jump right into it. So we're going to throw a quick little um, edgy protocol together, let's say iron chef or whatever. And I'm going to have the kids uh, take a look at this and they're going to give me five quick facts and an image about, um, you know, the, the Plains Indian experience in uh, uh, the late 1800s. And then I'm going to throw this little secret sauce in there that they have to do. You know, they've got to find, um, you know, a noted um, Native American leader uh, during this time. You know, got to find one, you know, who, who anyone, but you got to find one. You got to put that in your, in your slides. And that quick little, like, collaborative effort of kids to just put all this together very quickly, not assessed, just a simple formative check to say, okay, you guys kind of understand um, why the Buffalo were so important to uh, the Plains Indians. Bang, we've got it done. You've got that submitted. Now they can take that skill and apply it in a larger setting. Okay. Just like, Hey, regulations say, you know, uh, when approaching any ship and communications haven't been established and everything you're like, nope. Okay. I got to have this ready. I got to be prepared. I need to raise shields. I need to do all of these things. I love that because now I, I think that every teacher that's kind of like listening to this, maybe, you know, again, if you've seen the movie and and if you've not, there's you still have this vision of a student that watches. It's almost like the, the you know, they're on the ship and the due date is like con. Yes. It's just marching closer. And you, you as the teacher are like, hey, regulation says you should probably have part one of your project due. And you're just marching closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, the phasers are going off and everything. And you're like, oh, no. So, you know, I think that, um, I think that yeah, we as teachers having those protocols and, and scaffolding those things. I don't really remember doing that a lot in my earlier education experience. It was just, hey, the project is due on Friday, duh, 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 you know. That's Jaws. I probably yeah. should, I should not. I, I'm trying to think about the. No, 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 no. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't even know if that's right either, but I don't, yeah. I think it's close. So um, you're going to get, you're going to get angry stuff from Nicholas Meyer. I'm going to. Oh, I know. They're going to be. There you go. They're, they're the, you know, if you're now, if you're listening to this, we're, we're hoping that like, you know, in the taglines of this, that you tagged some, some cool Jaws references. There you go. Yes. Uh, but like, you know, but watching those, you know, due dates and that was just kind of like the way that it was. And now we've learned the protocols of saying, no, by this point, you need to have this part done by this point, you need to have this and making sure that everything um, you know, stays organized and stuff like that. I, I think that that's important. And it's important for us as teachers too, to have things like to make sure that we're giving timely feedback um, with things and, and to make sure that we have those protocols in place so that we're using our class time to even, you know, reduce homework time and, you know, to make sure that we're, you know, presenting our, you know, best examples of, of how to work in the classroom. Absolutely. 
So, um, all right. So I think we've got maybe one more thing as we're kind of wrapping up. And what I want to think about is, so, so you know, Khan's kind of like, he's destroyed big sections of the Enterprise um, and, and things like that. And then there's this kind of like ending battle that happens with, um, with, with Kirk to where um, there's this bit, there's this nebula that um, disrupts shields and um, sensors and all of this stuff that's good to hide. And that's where he's kind of like, well, that makes us kind of like even for the advantage. Um, I think um, doesn't even Spock. I think he have I think he says like sauce for the goose. I yeah, think. the odds will be- like his. That's one of those yeah. little things that he says. And so, um, so once they're in there, they're um, then it is basically kind of like you know who's kind of like the almost like the best commander at this point because it's not a sneak attack. And uh, and so there's a, a line where they're trying to kind of like figure out what's happening. And Kirk's talking to Spock about that. And he's kind of trying to figure out what's happening. And Spock has gone through and analyzed, you know, the pattern. And he says, well, if you look at Khan's pattern to date, it suggests two-dimensional thinking. As in like, you know, space being in three dimensions. So Kirk even has this maneuver where they're kind of like even and he has them like basically turn off all the engines so that he can kind of like float down and then floats back up and then the other ship is right in front. And that's that's the biggest way that he ends up, you know, uh, say, you know, destroying the destroying Khan, destroying the enemy ship. But um, I love that thought of, you know, the, the, thought, the thought of two-dimensional thinking and looking at ways that we as teachers can expand our thinking in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when, when you look at it, we're, we're usually kind of, as teachers, when we go through all of our training and everything, we're trained to say, hey, you will, you know, look at your standards first and you'll design these learning targets and then you're going to create these activities for students to do to demonstrate learning. And you're going to have all of these different formatives along the way. And every kid's going to complete those formatives. And then you're going to have this summative at the end that's going to demonstrate that. And you're not going to be surprised by how they do on the summative because you've seen all this formative data ahead of time. And it's so linear in the way it's presented. It's amazingly linear. Um, And I look at that and I think, but that's not reality. Right. Because along the way, there's dips, there's there's valleys, there's amazing highs that kids reach all along that path. Mm-hmm. And what we've got to do is we have to shift our thinking to be how do we create an experience for kids that is centered around that learning, but allows them to tap into their own talents, to their own passions and creates this environment where it's not about that formative Uh, I'm sorry, not, it's not about that summative at the end. It's not about that. It's not about that grade. It's about all of the journey itself. It's not even really about each little formative. We do that just so we can check our progress. Right. That's all. Um, We aren't like trying to just say, Hey, Oh man, you're not doing well in this formative here. That just helps us adjust our course a little bit. But at the end of the day, that's not what the goal is. The goal is this entire experience that's happened all along that path. Mm-hmm. And that means that you have to think not just linearly, but you've got to think a little bit on a curve. You've got to be able to think in three dimensions because exactly. there's depth to that that might be there. You might have a kid have an amazing insight on a particular topic. You're like, oh my gosh, that's I didn't amazing. even think about it that way. And oh. oh my goodness. So now I need to shift, okay, Maybe I need to incorporate that. You know, I, 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 an example I can think of all the time is I teach reconstruction. I've taught it for years to students and I'd never had a student ask, 
well, we talk about the African-American experience during Reconstruction, and rightly so. It is so central to understanding American history. Exactly. Um, but I had a student of, of Hispanic origin ask me, what was the experience of Hispanic Americans during this time? Did they encounter that same level of discrimination? And I had to say, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I had to start shifting my thing. Oh, my gosh. I have zeroed in on one particular narrative or one particular story. And there's so much more out here that we need to make certain that we are also injecting. So that means I need to restructure something. I need to create an avenue for that. And that means I can't think that, okay, you're going to know the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. You're going to know Jim Crow laws. You're going to know Black codes. You're going to know voting restrictions. And then we're good. Is oh no no there's all of these other rich things that are in that depth in that third dimension that I'm gonna have to make certain I get there. And again, as as we were kind of talking about with you know when we were talking about the Genesis device of being able to provide opportunities for our our students to go in to to delve deep into those things and to to be open to that to uh, to allow that to kind of be a little bit of our three-dimensional thinking kind of along the way. So, um, all right, well, um, I think we're gonna wrap it up here. So Ryan, again, thank you so much for starting us off on season two. Um, I will say though, so uh, one of the questions I guess we'll, we'll kind of end with, cause this is a sequel and I feel like you've already kind of hit on it to sort of know the answer, but based on where we're at, is this what you would consider a good sequel or not a good sequel? Oh, I mean, without a doubt, this is this is a great sequel. I mean, you could argue that this is the best Star Trek film, period. You know, any, you know, whether original series, next generation cast or the or the J.J. Abrams reboot, you could argue this is the best. Um, it's so rich. It's full of high emotion, high drama. Like you said, there's a lot of tension. And at the end. You actually spoiler alert, you see Kirk actually have to deal with the no win scenario. Which he had not been able to do before. Exactly. So yeah. the main characters change in such rich ways that I think that makes it absolutely outstanding. Like it'd be up there with Empire Strikes Back. Like it, it, it's that level for, for me. Absolutely. And by the way, that that is a sequel. And I hope that um, if you did miss season two, we did actually do an episode on Empire Strikes Back. So you can take a look at that. So, um, Ryan, you know, we'll have you back on again, um, but thank you again. And for uh, those of you guys that are listening out there, thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next time.